Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Music and Spinner.com, where you can get free MP3s, exclusive interviews, and more. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 215 for September 24th, 2009. Security Maxims. Security Now is brought to you by GoToMeeting. Picture yourself on a phone call sharing and explaining something visual with GoToMeeting. For your free 30-day trial, visit GoToMeeting.com slash security now. And by Carbonite, the leader in online backup. Back up your PC or Mac off-site securely and automatically. For a free trial offer plus two free months with purchase, go to Carbonite.com. Offer code TWIT. It's time for Security Now, everybody's favorite show about protecting yourself online. And here he is, the guru of security, the man of the hour, Mr. Steve Gibson of GRC.com. Hey, Steve. Hey, Leo. It's great to be back with you again, as always. Nice to have you. Yeah, we've got a really some fun content this week. I mean, we always have various flavors of fun. This is something we've never done before. A couple months ago, I ran across, and frankly, I can't remember... Whether I stumbled on it or a listener might have said, hey, check this out. So if I got it from someone, I apologize for not acknowledging them. But um, it was a page of of what this author called his security maxims. Um, I looked up maxim in the dictionary to get the exact definition, and it's defined as a succinct formulation of a fundamental principle, general truth or rule of conduct. and. This guy is Roger Johnston, who's got his PhD and also his CPP credential, which is a Certificate of, of uh, Protection Professional. Oh, I never heard of that. That's cool. He's with the Argonne Vulnerability Assessment Team, the Nuclear Engineering Division of the Argonne National Laboratory, which is a division of the U.S. Department of Energy. You know, that's so interesting because are- the Department of Energy was the one who created CERT, the Computer Emergency Response Team. I mean, they have been, un- until recently, they've really been carrying the torch for security in the government, in the national government. Right. Well, you know, so, someone's got to do it. Yeah, and I guess uh, if they a- have nukes, they probably, it's as good them as anybody. And so I, so a couple months ago, I wrote to Roger and I said, hey, you know, I kind of wanted to get a little background. I thought this would be a really fun thing for you and, and well, for us to discuss just sort of interactively to go through these really fun sort of succinct pithy maxims in the context of everything that we've been discussing for the last couple of years. So I said, Hey, I wanted to get a little more background. Where did these come from and so forth? And he wrote back, he said, Steve, the most recent list of maxims is attached. And so he, he, he sent those in the, his response and he said, most of the maxims are my creations over the last several years or so being a vulnerability assessor for physical security makes one's pretty makes one pretty cynical or maybe you need to be cynical to see security problems or maybe both are true anyway <laughs> these maxims were developed partially out of frustration at seeing the same kinds of problems over and over again they are offered partially tongue in cheek but partially not since they are more or less true and i actually i think they're very true i think they're just wonderful and he said oddly cybersecurity people get more excited about these maxims 
than physical security people, although they were really developed with more with physical security in mind. Over the last couple of years, security professionals who liked the maxims would offer some of their own. If I liked their suggestions, I tacked them onto the list. So we're going to today discuss, uh, and we've got so many, we won't get them all into this podcast, but that's fine because it's just sort of something fun we'll, we'll bring out from time to time and, and dust off and continue going through the list. How many are there? Uh, just, there's a ton. There's six pages. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at right here. No, no, so. you just have the first chunk. Oh, I've got there's more. more. Oh, yeah, because I thought, okay, we're never going to get through this many, so we'll do <laughs> as many as we can in a reasonable amount of time. And then, you know, at some point in the future, I'll say, hey, we're going to do Security Maxims Part 2 because I think people are going to get a big kick out of them. This is good. So we aren't just going to give you the maxim. I know, I know, Steve. You're going to tell us what it means, how oh, to implement exactly. it. We wanted, I wanted to the implications. break them down. Yeah, I think give, that's great. Give examples and discuss that. each one. Exactly. Love that idea. Well, before we get there, uh, we have to uh, mention our sponsor. And I know you probably have some security news and errata to cover as well. Do so. Let's and I've got some some bad news about what happens when you try to spy on your girlfriend. I don't know if that's bad news or good news. I guess it depends uh, if you're the if you're the boyfriend of the girlfriend. <laughs> well, if you're the hospital where she works, it's oh, bad news. Oh boy. Well, let's let's talk about that in just a second. But right now, I want to talk about our good friends at Citrix, who in in a way are the uh, you know the kings of security maxims. Uh, they have been doing this for so long that they've really become expert in creating excellent remote access solutions that don't that just aren't prey to the security problems that so many others are uh they do go to meeting go to my pc go to assist and each and every one of these products is really uh locked down as they ought to be because when you're giving somebody access to your computer you know this is this is serious stuff let me talk a little bit about go to meeting which is their remote meeting software of course, one of the things that uh, Citrix does so well is they make this stuff easy to use and easy to install. They use NAT Traversal, for instance, so that you don't have to port forward or configure a firewall. It just works out of the box. And, you know, when you're doing meetings, online meetings, you know, you may be sophisticated. Certainly, if you're listening to the show, you're very sophisticated, sophisticated enough to do all that. But remember, you're having a meeting with a client or a colleague who oftentimes is not sophisticated at all. Like sometimes getting them to use the computer is a little bit much. Hey, I want to have a conference call with you. But I'd also like to show you this uh, presentation. Can you can you go to can you use your computer? And they'll go, oh, I don't know, you know, oh boy. <laughs> don't. This is the kind of thing they can use without fear, without worry, and very easily. Let me give you an example of how it works. If you go right now, you can sign up for thirty days. You can try it yourself, absolutely free. Go to gotomeeting.com/slash/security now, and uh, you'll sign up for the trial. This is our special page for the Security Now listeners, and that'll take a minute, and then. Um, and then you, you, you download the software, which takes two minutes, download and install, including all the configuration. Now you're done. That's, it's ready to go on your system. If you're using Windows, uh, and by the way, Windows or Mac, but if you're using Windows, it will integrate with Outlook. So now you can say, send an, a message, an email, say to your client and says, hey, I'd love to you know, show you our latest uh, proposal. Um, let's meet at one o'clock. Click this link and, uh, and we will talk. And so it sends them a link, makes it, but you couldn't get any easier than that. If they can read an email, they can do this. By the way, the, the, uh, the system includes voice over internet conferencing and telephone conferencing. So it sends them a conferencing number. The whole thing is done for you like that. Now it comes time for the meeting. You just launch, go to meeting. You actually do the same way they do. You go to go to meeting.com and you say, I'm going to host my meeting. 
Uh, it runs the software on your system. Your client does the same thing. You're on the phone with them. You're talking to them, and you're showing them the PowerPoint or the keynote presentation, or your or your uh, drawings, your your specs, whatever it is you're you're meeting about. You can collaborate. It's good for training too. You know, if you if you have a program that you sell and you want to support, uh, and you have a new client who wants to try this software, you run the software on your machine. They don't even have to have installed it. You show them how to use it, and they say, "Now you try it." You give them control on your machine, and they're using your software. I'm just scratching the surface of how you can use this. I really want you to try it right now. Go to gotomeeting.com slash security now. Give it a shot. They are a great supporter of our network all around. Uh, and we support them because they do it right. Gotomeeting.com slash security now. We thank them so much for uh, supporting security now. All right, Steve Arino. Let's, uh, any news? Any security news you want to talk well, about? Well, we do have some news. Um, I... <laughs> I think I mentioned, I know I mentioned a couple times over the last few weeks, some, some people have written in saying, hey, Steve, you know, we think you're being a little unfairly rough on Microsoft. And it's like, oh, okay, um, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I'll keep that in mind. But I did run across um, Apple's news about their September 10th update. There was their security update 2009-009-2009-005. And, you know, Apple is notoriously closed-mouthed about what's going on. Uh, In fact, their formal statement on their update update site is, for the protection of our customers, Apple does not disclose, discuss, or confirm security issues until a full investigation has occurred and any necessary patches or releases are available to learn more about Apple's product security, see Apple product security website. So that sort of has the effect of obscuring a little bit about what's going on, because when the, when the details come out afterwards, it's afterward, it's afterwards. So it's, it's no longer newsy, but what struck me was that, that I really think we're, very rapidly approaching, if we're not already at the point of being able to say that the Mac is no more secure than Windows, that is, than Windows-based machines. For example, um, just and this is just a, a brief summary. I thought, well, I could you know go over the details, but it's, it would just be going on forever. So, so in summary of what Apple slid in. To the Mac OS without giving any details a couple weeks ago, um, there was a buffer overflow error in their handling of alias files that could have resulted in remote code execution. There's a memory corruption error in Resource Manager and its handling of resource forks that could have resulted in either application termination or remote code execution. Multiple vulnerabilities identified in the clam av which was distributed only with the mac os x server systems but several of those vulnerabilities could lead to remote code execution an integer overflow error in the handling of images with an embedded color sync profile and actually we've seen those before in in mac os security updates an integer overflow error in core graphics the way it processes pdf files that could result if you open a PDF in remote code execution. A heap overflow error in the core graphics caused by drawing long 
text strings, a null pointer dereference error in CUPS, which is the common Unix printing system that the Mac uses, um, a heap overflow error in the USB backend for CUPS, multiple vul- vulnerabilities in Adobe's Flash Player plugin, which, okay, is not Mac's fault, but it was there. Um, and some of those could have led to remote code execution. Multiple memory corruption errors in image IO subsystem in the way it handles Pixar film encoded TIFF images. A design issue in, in the launch services system, which can cause an unsafe file to be opened automatically. A design issue in launch services, um, as a result of which there's no warning while dis- attempting to open a downloaded content, which is unsafe. An implementation issue in MySQL that might lead to an escalation of privilege. Multiple vulnerabilities have been identified in their PHP. Again, not Apple's fault, but a component that they were inclo- in, including that's, you know, open source um, uh, that can result in remote code execution. An error in Samba as it fails to perform adequate checks, thereby leading to unexpected sharing of folders. And finally, a cross-site scripting error in their wiki server in the way it handles requests that have non-UTF-8 encoding. So this sort of all got fixed, which is good. But, I mean, given what we've been seeing over the last eh, year, I would say that, and and in fact, our security maxims are going to be substantiating this because we'll recognize sort of the, the standard caused common wisdom of that. I would say that, that the the Mac is pretty much at a par with Windows. That is that that as a consequence of the reality of the difficulty of security, how how complex modern operating systems are, whether from Microsoft or Apple or the open source community, mistakes get made and the bad guys, the more they look, the more mistakes they find. And, you know, we're really seeing an increase in the rate at which problems are being being found in the Mac. Not, I think, because there are more problems than there were, but because we're looking more closely. You know, there are more there are more Macs, more people are using them. The bad guys have them. And as as we've said before, you know, um, malicious people can't find mistakes in systems they don't have. They find them in the, in the machines that they're able to inspect closely. So but one thing I'd point out is more than half of the ones you talked about, Cups and Samba and, uh, and Clam AV and PHP, and many, many more of those you talked about are open source products right. because uh, Darwin uh, is open source and much of the software that uh, runs on Macs are open source. So right. you could, you're going to, the same exact thing you just said can be said about Linux and open source uh, operating systems. In fact, it could be said about every operating system. Correct, and, and that's my point. Is well, that, and the reason no, I, the reason I bring it up is that for a long time, Windows uh, advocates have pointed to Linux and said, "Look at all the patches in Linux software," and I think that that's kind of an unfair critique. If if software is being patched and openly being patched because of problems being found, that doesn't mean that the look, all software is bad, but it doesn't mean that this software is worse than other software. In fact, it means it's being patched more quickly. You could make the counter case that. Uh, a, a closed source system like Macintosh or, or more likely Windows, they may know about many, many more vulnerabilities that aren't being patched. So you, your vulnerability count could be lower. Does not mean you're safer. Could mean quite the contrary. Yeah. In fact, I would argue that it's probably impossible to make a meaningful comparison. Exactly. To answer, you know, I mean, exactly. people, you know, all of the fanboys on in any camp want to say, 
theirs is worse than ours. Ours is better than theirs. But I don't know that you can make that. I mean, the, the problem is this is not black and white. All of this is gray. Yeah. I'm and, just saying that counting vulnerabilities, as you're just saying, is 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 kind of meaningless. It doesn't say doesn't say anything one way or the other. Right. I completely I mean, I, agree. I guess what you could what you could derive from it is what you did derive from it, which is people are looking more closely and finding more. But you could all, but we don't know. It could also be Apple's revealing more and it never did before or Apple never patched stuff before. And there was this stuff. That's my sense. In fact, Apple's been criticized for a long time by open source advocates for having a lot of older open source software on their system that has known vulnerabilities and not responding to that. I right. Think, but know. I guess certainly what we do know empirically is the there seems to be a much more continual flow of updates yeah. now. Thank goodness. Then, That's the way yes, it ought to be, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. These things are getting fixed as they're being found. I think a lot of um, users, like to my radio show, get concerned when they see all these patches. It implies there's something bad going on. Oh my gosh, the software is, is horrible. And it doesn't necessarily mean that. No, I would say all it means is that people are looking more closely and finding things that need fixing. Yeah. Which is which is the case in any system. Exactly. As you said. Yep. 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 Um, speaking of which, I had an interesting little um, statistical tidbit. Remember, we talked either last week or the week before about how the new versions of Firefox were going to be automatically notifying their users if the flash, if the Adobe slash Macromedia flash plugin was out of date um, in the first week. Of doing so, 10 million Firefox users clicked through and updated oh. their their version of Flash. That's kind of mind-boggling, the numbers, <laughs> isn't it? 10 million. Apparently, the normal click-through is something like 3 or 4%, and this time it was 7, oh no, it was 30-some percent. I mean, it was a huge success. It turns out that apparently 75% of Firefox users were running outdated version uh, versions of Flash. Wow. And so Mozilla considers this this campaign yes. a, a tremendous yes. success yeah. and they are planning to partner with the providers of other popular plugins to do the same, basically to mature Mozilla um so that it will be continually aware of of updates sort of on behalf of plugin manufacturers and let people know that you know that there's a new version available mm-hmm. so i thought it was you know really interesting that there was you know i mean this was a this was a huge win really for everyone and it sort of does sort of represent what we're seeing in terms of the the operating system and web-based ecosystem where the browser is becoming the platform you know the the browser is where you run applications. It's where you, 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 the way you interact with the internet is more and more through the browser rather than through lots of independent standalone apps. So here's the browser needing sort of much like an operating system to become responsible for the, the, the security of the user's experience, which means indirectly the browsers, you know, that is containing these plugins is having to become, you know, it is fortunately taking more and more responsibility for the safety of the of overall the content that it delivers constant debate who's responsible right 
You know, well, it's yes. <laughs> you know, everyone wants to point fingers. Right. I, I'm really impressed that Firefox said, "Okay, we're going to step up and let people know if they've got old versions of Flash." And you wonder, how does Adobe feel about this? Good or bad? I would think just they, I would they ought to feel think, good, right? Yes. Yes. But it, but in some ways, it's an indictment of them for not not doing it themselves. Well, it's funny because I noticed that on some of my machines, I've got an install shield update manager. And as you know, I'm Mr. Minimalist. I, I want as little stuff running around in my machine as possible. And so I'm a little annoyed that there's an install shield update manager, but it does tend to aggregate the updates of several different disparate products hmm. which have used install shield to install themselves and it's like okay well i guess that's better maybe than each one of them independently needing to be running something all the time to, to check and see i think the best model from my uh, uh, standpoint is when you run something to have it at that time if you've configured it to do so check to see if there's a newer version of itself and and also of course check to see when the last time was it it looked so it's not always looking but and and many programs now say you know yes check for updates and no more often than once a week or once a month or you know you're able to configure that yeah. which you know i think it's it's a nice compromise but clearly this new model of we're connected and on software is able to check in with itself uh is is where we're headed in fact i've implemented exactly that facility now uh with my stuff uh we'll see that for the first time in this ever forthcoming dns benchmark <laughs> okay. uh, stop teasing I, us <laughs> i just got thrown on a curveball um somebody was commenting that they you know they wanted to get all green status but they the, but their servers were rearranging themselves from from one run of the benchmark to the next so now i've just finished adding a an awareness to, an awareness of statistical significance to the difference in timings so that the benchmark will it takes the standard deviation of all the samples and does a statistical significance calculation to determine if okay yes this the average of these samples was a little faster than the average of those but based on the spread of samples that we obtained we can't say with greater than 95% certainty that it's a statistically significant difference so it does all that now too so It'll, I'll get finished with it one of these days, and we'll do a podcast on it. <laughs> no meanwhile, worry. Take your time. Meanwhile, Robert McMillan, reporting for Computer World, carried an interesting story that caught my attention. Um, a 35-year-old man in Avon Lake, Ohio, named Scott Graham, has his tail between his legs at the moment. And in fact, he's set to plead guilty to um, federal uh, network spying charges. He purchased for $115 a program called Spy Agent, which he sent to his ex-girlfriend's Yahoo uh, email account. Creepazoid. Yes, he wanted to spy on his ex-girlfriend. Sure. Unfortunately, she works in the local hospital's pediatric cardiac surgery department. And... As a consequence, you could also argue of the hospital's lack of sufficient security. She used her web browser, went to Yahoo email, opened her email, and installed 
spy agent into the machine at the hospital's pediatric cardiac surgery department, creating, among other things, a regulatory nightmare for the hospital. Because then, over the course of about two weeks, the spyware on her machine emailed to Scott Graham, the creepy ex-boyfriend, more than a thousand screen captures of what was going on on this sensitive machine, including details of medical procedures, diagnostic notes, and other confidential information relating to 62 different hospital patients. He also obtained email and financial records for four other hospital employees. So he's now facing at um, $33,000 in damages again from the hospital and a maximum sentence of five years in prison. So anyway, I, well, yeah, I, yeah. And I mean, so that's, you know, Ill- is that, that's illegal to do that. Even those people sell this product. It's illegal. And it's amazing to me that people can sell this product. You know, they say, oh, it's for parents to keep an eye on their children and the way they're using the computer. And it's like, oh, they know perfectly well. That's not the only people who use. I mean, I I would I would venture to guess that 99 percent of the of the purchases and use of this kind of a creepy tool is for this kind of application. And of course, you know, this is. You know, so his intention was that she would run this from her machine at home right. and affect her machine at home. And then he'd be able to, you know, figure out if he was, she was dating somebody else or who knows what, you know, this creep's plans were. I hope they, uh, they slap the wrist of the hospital security person, though, as well. Well, that's I mean, this is a very <laughs> good point is the fact that the fact that she was going to a public email service downloaded and installed this thing you know who knows what the actual protocol was for but clearly it's packaged so that it will get itself installed and exactly this scenario you want it and you know to the degree that you want it installed anywhere you want to be able to control where it's installed and this this spyware was invited into this hospital's pediatric cardiac surgery department and uh you know created problems for everybody not so good not so good not so good um, I did want to mention that there is an unpatched vulnerability um, in Microsoft's SMB version 2. SMB is the uh, server message blocks protocol. It's the, it's the general Windows file and printer sharing protocol, which is used now for like much more than just file um, and printer sharing under, um, under Windows. Their newer version which appeared first in Vista and in as also in uh, the, the current pre-release of Windows 7, is has a known vulnerability which has not been patched. Now, I doubt that this is really a problem for anybody because for this to be a problem, you would have to have that port, delir- ports 139 and 445, which are the the default ports for this service, well, they're actually the only ports for this service, you'd have to have them open and exposed to the bad guys, which would mean you'd have to have them deliberately open through the firewall running on the Windows machine, and assuming that you're behind a router, you'd have to have those mapped through so that you could access those 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 ports and, and and this SMB service remotely. So that's, that's, 
seems unlikely to me, but it's certainly possible that somebody running Vista could have said, oh, well, you know, I've got a really good password and um, and username on my machine. It's cru- crucial for me to be able to do file sharing or printer sharing remotely. So they may well have mapped these ports through. So if that's the case, um, I wanted to point people at a Microsoft security advisory. There is no patch for this, but you can disable in the registry only the version two enhancements. And that's where the problem is. So if you were still doing and needed to do this unwise thing of leaving those ports direct openly exposed, I mean, these ports have been a disaster from day one of, of Microsoft's platform on the internet. I mean, it's, isn't it's this how you got into the whole yes. business? Yeah. It's what brought me into windows yeah. and internet security. And that's why I created shields up right. was to bring an awareness of this. People so had their file sharing ports. Just everybody had it just turned on and, uh, and, yeah. and it was just, you could see everything. There were no personal firewalls. This was pre-router. Yeah. This is when, God help us, people just plugged their Windows machine directly onto, you know, onto look, the I internet. print from anywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> look at that. You know, people's printers would, like, be spitting out random spoof pages <laughs> because somebody thought, oh, this will be fun. We'll print uh-huh. on this random machine that's uh-huh. been exposed. So, anyway, security advisory. God help anybody who's doing this, but I, just for the sake of, you know, informing everyone security advisory nine seven five four nine seven again that's nine seven five four nine seven if you have to have these ports open if you refuse to use a vpn or you know open vpn or or something if you you know even port filtering you you should for example you know i mean i have these ports exposed but they're locked to the IP address of respective networks. So nobody can see them. They will, they're absolutely non-responsive. It's only when you are at the IP that is, um, that is permitted that there's any acceptance of packets. And this can't, they can't be spoofed because these are TCP connections. Mm. So, you know, my, my system is super tightly locked down, um, but uh, it is possible to filter these so that only you're only able to see these ports from a known IP or range of IPs, which is very, you know, it's it's very good, strong security. But just having it wide open, it's like, okay, well, you get what you deserve. But it is possible at least to disable version two using the security advisory. And I would absolutely recommend it. Um, also, um, I just wanted to mention the blurb in the news recently, Leo, about the FCC's proposed actions on the issue of net neutrality. Okay, yes, because uh, Monday, the FCC uh, announced this. Julius Janikowski said, uh, we're going to impose rules requiring this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's apparently a contentious issue. Um, there, I can't remember the name of the, of the female senator, the, the Republican senator from Texas. Um, Kaylee Bailey, Kay, Kay Kay Bailey, Bailey Hutchinson, Hutchinson yeah. has already pre- uh, introduced legislation to block this. So, you know, the, the, we, we've never talked about net neutrality. It doesn't really bear on security. So it's like, eh, okay, that's sort of off topic for us. But it is something that continues to surface over and over again. Remember that back in the, back in the day, as they say, you know, A, this was an issue with AOL because people were 
hooking up to AOL and leaving their telephone connections up 24-7, often for days or weeks at a time. And the argument was that AOL was getting a free ride on the carrier's connections. The, the, basically, the phones were never, phone lines were never meant to be used this way. And so the issue was, well, wait a minute, you know, how is this fair for, for some users of the phone system to have a free, to make a free local call in perpetuity, essentially, tying up this, uh, uh, this system, using it in a way that was really, it wasn't designed to be used for. And the argument was, of course, that AOL was getting a free ride on this transit that was owned by, by um, other public utilities. And so, you know, here we are again, looking at these same issues as companies like Google and Microsoft are, the, the argument goes, trying to take unfair advantage of, of the, the broadband services by, by causing them to be used in a way that they weren't designed to be. Um, and, and of course, the you know the EFF and proponents of net neutrality argue: Wait a minute, uh, it's fundamentally wrong for some services being carried over the internet to be charged differently than other services. Yeah. It ought to just be kept neutral. Yeah. So yeah. you know, so, you know, it's funny we were talking about it on Twitter a little bit, and Dvorak. Um, was so saying I would, I would have loved to have heard John rant. Well, I'm a I, you know I believe in net neutrality, especially if you part of the problem with the is the name. It really should be phrased uh, anti discrimination on the net, and then it makes a little more sense to people. We're talking about not discriminating, preventing discrimination on the net. Well, and, and, and for example, not not rate limiting certain types of traffic. Right, where, where, where we've seen ISPs dropping connections that they determined were bulk, you know, file sharing connections. Yeah. Um, but Dvorak pointed out, and it's true that there are there are arguments on both sides. And one of the arguments uh, against it is that you're making a regulation to fight something that's not really happening. That it that uh, you know, I mean, and I th- I'm sure that uh, Kay Bailey Hutchinson's point is, well, the market should really uh, uh, determine this, not the government. Um, the problem is we don't really have real competition among internet service providers in many areas. You only have one or two, so you don't. Right. There is no market. Right. I, I've got Cox Cable. Like it or not, that's right. my cable supply. Right. So it's, you know, I, 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 on balance, I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, I can understand why people would say, oh, do we need another government agency? You know, another another more uh, regulation, more regulation. But but I think that it's probably a good idea to put a, at least put a flag in the sand and say, you know, you can't do this, guys. Well, and maybe just lay down some guidelines. Right. For, what for, can for you the F, Yeah. For the, FTC, for the FCC to say, OK, look, here is. Here's the status of this argument. This is what we think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to briefly mention many people have written asking what's going on with me and my vitamin D blood levels. <laughs> yes. Uh, and what I learned from taking from literally testing every single week was the variation in the testing accuracy was completely masking what was going on. So it was annoying. Basically, I was testing too often. There, there, there's a, there, it's a little bit of a misnomer. Um, the results come back with one decimal point. So it's like 22.2, 29.7, as if that decimal point had any meaning whatsoever. What I saw was that from week to week, there was like a plus or minus 
five, I would guess, variation. I mean, like as in 5.0. So this notion of giving me three digits of accuracy was ridiculous. <laughs> and, and and it was, you know, chewing up my arm in right, the process right, too. Right. So I just decided I would be I would be checking in monthly to see what was going on. We never did tell our listeners that I I uh because there was some reason to believe that it was wrong to bathe immediately after coming in from the sun because you'd literally wash the vitamin D that had been synthesized in your skin out of your skin that I also did the experiment of deliberately not bathing, not showering at all with, with soap for the court for a week to see if that made any difference. And the fact is it was after that week that I was for the first time ever, no longer deficient in my vitamin D level, but that wasn't even a, that wasn't clear with any scientific accuracy because the next week I was. So <laughs> it's just it's ve- there, there's a huge variation in the test. It's very inaccurate um, or, or, or relatively so. So um, I will over the course of a much longer baseline be checking now only every four weeks. And I'm going to be checking at the end of the month to see, you know, where I am. I am. I am now supplementing the whole put me in the sun thing was just to see whether I could get right. a, a, just to see the effect of being in the sun. And unfortunately I wasn't willing to do that over the course of month after month after month. I, I thought, well, if I could do it over the course of a few weeks, that would be fun, but it's hard for me to hold still for half an hour. <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> all that coffee inside you for one thing. <laughs> uh, um, no, I'm glad to hear that. You know, I've been supplementing with D ever since. I, I just think it's, it's not worth taking a chance on that one. You know. Oh, I agree. In fact, I I had set up. I wanted to read a couple letters that were just anecdotal, and I want to say evidence, but they're not evidence. They were just anecdotal uh, events, which which argue about the pro immune system effects of D. It's sort of on people's radar as we approach winter time, and this H one N one, you know, flu concern uh and of course the anecdotal evidence is that d is you know very good for your immune system and there there was a a there was a clinic where i think it was in wisconsin where during a, a an h1n1 flu spike there were two doctors in a clinic one who wrote the letter what had all of her patients on d just because she was in wisconsin i think her name was ellie she was in wisconsin and and she believed that D was important. The other doctor uh, who with whom she shared this clinic wasn't D aware and wasn't doing anything during this spike. They were once, you know, having coffee. And he commented that one out of 10 of his patients had had been tested positive for H1N1 and none of hers. Zero. So again, that's not scientifically accurate. I mean, it, it doesn't prove anything statistically. And I'm, I'm more of an expert on statistics than I was last week before I wrote all this new code for the the DNS benchmark. But uh, again, it's another data point on the radar. I, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm aware of this, and all my friends and family are now. And everyone's taking their little, I call it the little drop of sunshine. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a little yellow capsule of olive oil, basically. And I did have a really fun uh, spin right success story to share. 
Um, I love it when a letter that we receive starts out, wow, what a product. Uh, <laughs> Always a good way to start. Wow, what a product. Wow, Just, what a product. Uh, Justin, uh, who didn't give me his last name, wrote, he said, I've been an administrator off and on for the past 12 years. I, and he, I guess he means, you know, IT administrator. So I've seen a fair share of crashed hard drives. I've seen how much money it can take to restore valuable data, and it's never cheap. He put in all caps. He said, my uncle called me a while back to see if I could maybe get some data off his crashed hard drive because he did not have the money to have it professionally done. The drive sounded like it was a tin can of nuts and bolts when it ran, which really sounds quite frightening. (laughs) And he says, and I told him it was unlikely that I would be able to do anything with it. I got estimates from a few of the big name hard drive restoration companies and the total was to be in excess of $1,000, no matter who I talk to, and with no guarantee of success. I've heard of your product before, but for whatever reason, I just didn't imagine that it could resolve the problem this drive was having. But last night, I figured, what the heck? So I purchased and downloaded your product, and easily created my boot disk, and was quickly underway to see if this crashed drive could be accessed just one more time. Of course, that's that's what everybody wants. It's like, oh my god, I'm sorry. Once more, yes, please. Do me one last (laughs) time. time. I promise, I'll get all the data off I need. (laughs) So he says it took 14 hours to complete the task because of how bad of shape the disc was in. As a matter of fact, as I watched Spinrite's progress screen and noticed all of the bad sectors that were that it was turning up, I just knew that it was worth a shot because there was no way. Well, he says, I just knew that it was worth a shot, but, oh, but there was no way I'm getting data off of this drive. Well, as I write this now, I'm copying all of the wanted data off the old drive onto a new drive, exclamation point. I am absolutely amazed that this worked on a drive that sounded the way this one did, and for 90 bucks, too cheap. Uh. This drive was barely even recognizable in the system BIOS, much less accessible in Windows. Windows would freeze just trying to boot off a good disk while this bad disk was attached as a secondary. That's how bad this disk was messed up. It would mess everything else up. Thank you, guys. My uncle will now have all of his data returned, most of which was irreplaceable pictures of his family, children, and grandchildren, etc., etc., Data that is priceless. Good job, Justin. Fantastic. Yeah, love it. That's a nice. That's a nice story. I like that. Hey, while we're talking about uh, this kind of topic, and before we get to our security maxims, which are coming up next, might be a good time to mention our friends at Carbonite.com. You know <laughs> that just one more time works sometimes, but not always. So it's really important that you back this stuff up. That's where Carbonite comes in handy. You know, Steve and I have often talked about the fact that a local backup is part of your backup strategy, but not the whole thing. If you don't have an off-site backup, you really don't have a backup. What if the worst happens? You know, fire, flood, famine, earthquake, tornado. You lose your main computer. You lose your local backup disks. But when you have Carbonite, you don't have to worry because you've got a backup always available off-site in the cloud. 
And the beauty of carbonite is it solves a problem a lot of people have with backup. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to plan it. You don't have to prepare for it. You don't have to do anything but go right now to carbonite.com and use the offer code TWIT. You get it free for two weeks and it starts backing up and it keeps backing up. All of those precious files, the pictures, the, the music, the financial documents, the email, whatever it is that you can't lose, that's what Carbonite will back up. And you don't have to worry about, oh, has it backed up too much? Do I have enough space? You have unlimited backups with Carbonite for one flat rate, less than $5 a month. It's about $54.95 a year. Mac and PC. Since 2006, Carbonite has backed up over 25 billion files and provided 2 billion of those back to customers who would have lost them otherwise. That's 2 billion files saved by Carbonite.com. I want you to try it free. Go to Carbonite.com. Mac or PC, you'll be backing up in seconds. You just can, it's like, ah, I don't have to worry about this anymore. Worried about security? Don't. AES-256 encryption before it leaves your hard drive. And then SSL 128-bit on the way. You, you are absolutely secure. Not only can nobody see it on the way, but even the Carbonite employees can't read it. It's your private data, and they make sure of it. That's why they use strong encryption before it leaves the computer. And oh, I, one more nice feature that, uh, that, that I forget to mention every time. Once you have a Carbonite account, you can log into Carbonite.com from any computer and see your entire data store, even download files. So if you've been backing up your computer with Carbonite.com, you can always get those files, even if you're on the road or out of town, or you're, you, know, you, you just log on to Carbonite.com. I can't tell you how valuable this is. I've used it for now two or three years. I started using it. When I had a terrible experience, losing uh, user error, I admit it, uh, lost podcast recordings for several shows. I had to call Dick Bartolo and say, um, you know those 10 gizwizzes we did the other day? We got to do them all again. That was so embarrassing. I immediately signed up for Carbonite. I've lost, I haven't lost a thing since. Carbonite.com. Use the offer code TWIT when you sign up for the free trial. And uh, if you do that, then when you decide to buy, you'll get two months free. So it's even more affordable. But you have to do the free trial first. Use, use the coupon code TWIT. If you go directly to buy, and I know some of you say, oh, that's fine, I'm, deal, I'm buying it. You don't get the two months free. So, so do the free trial first, use the coupon code TWIT, and then buy. And you can do that 10 minutes later and it'll still count. We thank Carbonite so much for their support of security now. This is a good podcast for them to be on. It's a good pair, you know? It, of course. If you use Carbonite, then you don't have to have that, please, please, Lord, let me boot it one more time feeling. It's just, oh, it's an awful feeling. All right, Steve, I'm ready. I've got security maxims all queued yeah, up. These are great. Um, I, I think, you know, they, as I said at the top of the show, they're, they're compiled by a, a guy who's been living and breathing security for a long time. Uh, we'll, we will find some references to to a well-known secure uh, cybersecurity guru Bruce Schneier in here. I love Bruce, yeah. And and there's a I think what these reflect as as we'll see as we go through them is is the is a philosophy that many of our listeners I'm sure have have grown to understand and probably even adopt. You know, from all the feedback that we get, you know, when people say. You know, I aced my security exam. Yeah. Uh, I've learned more about security from the podcast than I did in college, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's, there's a, it's sort of hard to describe, but a, 
a a clear discernible approach which i guess for lack of a better word involves skepticism about you know the assumptions of things being secure well that's what, um, that's your maxim trust no one yeah tno is is <laughs> that's all exactly. you really need to know that's the starting point that is a that's a good starting point yeah. and we'll see that that reflected through these also well let's start with maxim number 1 the infinity maxim you want me to read it or uh... yeah why don't you right. and then we'll comment okay so the, again, these are from Robert Johnston, who is a, a, a CPP at the Argonne Vulnerability Assessment Team, Nuclear Engineering Division, Argonne National Lab, DOE. This guy protects us and protects those nukes. So I'm, glad, the, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad he's paying these attention. Are, <laughs> these are sort of his pithy uh, you know, distillations of fundamental truths about right. the nature, the fundamental nature of security. Infinity Maxim, and you kind of referred to this earlier, there are an unlimited number of security vulnerabilities for any given security device, system, or program, most of which will never be discovered either by the bad guys or the good guys. Now, should I read his comment, too, or is that... Yeah, I think his comments are normally good, too, so yeah. I'll include that. We think this because we always find new vulnerabilities when we look at the same security device, system, or program a second or third time, and because... We always find vulnerabilities that others miss and vice versa. And you're right. I think, you know, so this is his infinity maxim, meaning that, you know, everything is insecure. Basically secure. Yeah, exactly. That that fundamentally, um, the closer you look, the more you find. And so that the 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 presumption of security, it's a little bit about I think there certainly we see it. All, all around us, instances of denial. It's easy to say, oh, uh, yeah, we got security because, you know, mostly because we want to say we've got security. And so it, it's hard to argue until you, you, you hold up in someone's face where there's a problem and they go, oh, oh, well, OK, we'll just fix that. And now we got security. Uh, no. We'll let, let's look some more and we'll find some more it's, problems. It's not exactly a mathematical proof, but it, but it, it does. It kind of stands to reason it just, uh, you know, empirically uh, that, you know, every time you look, you find another one. You know, maybe it's that it's that like from an from an from a standpoint of entropy, you know, randomness, it's more difficult to construct than it is to destruct. Yes, that is, you know, it's. It's much more difficult to order and organize than it is to disorder and disorganize. And and breaching security, breaking security is, is fundamentally about destroying something. It, it's it's about, you know, bringing randomness back to a system that was trying to be ordered against it. And you know, so it's fundamentally an uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah. Impossible. Maxim two, the thanks for nothing. Maxim, <laughs> thanks, thanks for nothing. Uh, a vulnerability, a vulnerability assessment that finds no vulnerabilities, or even only a few, is worthless and wrong. <laughs> I like the thanks for nothing. Thanks for so, nothing. You know, someone says, "Okay, I want you to uh, you know assess our security," and the then they come back and say, "Ah." Oh, Perfect. You got perfect security. <laughs> That's not it's what like, I want okay. to hear. Thanks for nothing. How much did we pay you for that? It's perfect. Yeah, there is no such thing. Uh, the arrogance maxim. The ease of defeating a security device or system is proportional to how confident slash arrogant 
the designer, manufacturer, or user is about it, and how often they use words like impossible, as in impossible to crack, or tamper-proof. Yeah, the arrogance, Maxim. Yeah, I love that. It's like true. You know, well, and it's funny, too, because you'll if you listen to the words that security people use, like if you listen to the way Bruce Schneier talks, he'll, I mean, he'll never, you couldn't make him say, no, it's invulnerable, or there, there, it's, there are no vulnerabilities. Always the word known is there. Yeah. No known vulnerabilities. Yeah. There's nothing that we know about it that is vulnerable or currently vulnerable or, or, well, we know that th- what the theoretical problem is, but it's unlikely, you know, before the, the universe ends that that will be a problem. I mean, there's, there's always a caveat because if you're security aware, you recognize that, I mean, the reality of the need for lack of arrogance, it's, it's, I mean, the arrogance will get you in trouble faster than anything else. At best, I mean, it's probabilistic. At best, you know, you could say there's a probability that it's secure. That's the most you could hope for. And you do, you do that all the time. I'll, I'll try to pin you down and say, well, this makes it secure, right? And you say, well. <laughs> More secure. More secure. More. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maximum, <laughs> maximum four is, it ties right into that. Be afraid. Be very afraid. If you're not running scared, you have bad security or a bad security product. And his comment is, fear is a good vaccine against both arrogance and ignorance. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a very good point. I mean, I'm, while I am coding CryptoLink, there will be nothing on my mind more than the fear that I'm going to make a mistake. I mean, there, there, I mean I'll, I'll be about as far away from arrogance as I could imagine. I'll be looking at every single thing i do line of code algorithm protocol you know just like mm, i hope i hope <laughs> i hope this is right yeah well this is almost a corollary then the so we're in agreement maxim says if you're happy with your security so are the bad guys <laughs> i love that that's great ignorance is bliss maxim the confidence that people have in security is inversely proportional to how much they know about it. <laughs> it's true. Doing this show has made me much more scared than ever before. Uh, and his comment is, security looks easy if you've never taken the time to think carefully about it. Yeah, and I think if, if anything else, that's you're right, Leo. That's what this podcast over the years has has helped to imbue our audience with. Is this, is is again, you know, ignorance was bliss. They're no longer ignorant, mm. and now they really have a much greater appreciation for how how hard security is. Yeah. Sometimes though, you kind of wish you could go back. You could go back. <laughs> Everything's <don't> safe. <laughs> exactly. It was just nicer. You could sleep it. You it's could sleep it. Fine. In. Everything's gonna be fine. Here's the weakest links maxim. Weakest link maxim. The efficacy of security is determined more by what is done wrong than by what is done right. He says the comment here, because the bad guys typically attack deliberately and intelligently, not randomly. Now, you're going to have to explain this one. Well, a perfect example we talked about a few weeks ago with the, um, the, the vulnerability that was found in the use of the MD5 hash, which was used to sign the security certificates for SSL. 
So here, so the point is, there was this little tiny, really hard to deal with or 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 to leverage microscopic flaw in this powerful, sophisticated, you know, interlinked, beautiful technology for guaranteeing the identity of someone you were connecting to. And because the guys who were attacking this managed to come up with a way that they could control some aspect of a slight defect. I mean, arguably, okay, this is not a problem defect. They turned it into one. So the weakest link in this whole chain brought the whole thing down. Mm. Yep. You know, yep. I mean, it, it yep. really is the case. It is unfortunately, no matter how good the security of your entire system is, the bad guys are looking and, and, and as he points out in his comment, not randomly, but they're looking for some entry point, the weakest link. And so, yeah. th- that weakest link determines the security of the entire system. And that, again, it's another example of why this is just so fundamentally difficult. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's not like, well, it's not fair. We want it to be the average security. Right. right. You know, it's like, sorry. We worked so hard on this. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. doesn't work that way. We, we did almost everything right. <laughs> high tech maxim the amount of careful thinking that has gone into a given security device system or program is inversely proportional to the amount of high technology it uses so insecurity apparently high technology is often taken as a license to stop thinking critically I think that's really interesting. It's like, now, wait a minute. We have geometric folded space quantum entanglement encryption. (laughs) It's like, uh, uh uh-huh. But didn't you leave the back door open? (laughs) But it's high tech. Yeah. It's high tech. Exactly. Sometimes, you know, this notion of like all using all this fancy stuff. And it's like, oh, look how fancy that is. Look at all the little blinky lights. That, all those lights that, that has to giving us yeah. lots of security, it's right? Uh, no, be? yeah. Let's get a big padlock. That's kind of a universal thing, you know. People we, in in society. Oh, it's it's modern. It must be better. Oh, it's high tech. It must uh-huh. be better. Oh, it's well, digital. It must be better. And, and and frankly, you know, we're all stuck on this. I mean, I it I I chastise myself for wanting the latest version of. The software. Yes. I mean, we're, we're always, we're sort of feeling like, oh, maybe the next one will be better. Hoping that it's like it won't hang or it won't crash. I don't even mean, I don't even mean security flaws. I just mean there's this, we're, we're stuck on this, this gravy train of updates, wanting the latest and the greatest, thinking that the latest is the greatest. Yeah. Boy, that's exactly it, isn't it? Latest does not mean greatest. In fact, in security, it's the opposite. Yeah, I'm mature I'm using, means safer. I'm using, you know, Studio 7 of of Pinnacle uh for video editing even though they're at 12 or something they are, because it was the best. <laughs> and you know, I'm using an old HP 35 an H, not a 35 an HP 21 I think it is, the old scientific calculator which is really old now, but it was the best. And uh PaintShop Pro, I use version 5 I think, which is like when it because they they went too far. They added too much yeah. junk to it. And it slowed it down and it became a problem. So it's like, okay, no, I'm just going to stay with what I have. It's often true in software, isn't it? Yeah. A Maxim 10, the Doctor Who Maxim. I, I, it's in quotes, so I'm thinking this must be a quote from Doctor Who. Yes, it was. The more sophisticated the technology, 
the more vulnerable it is to primitive attack. People often overlook the obvious. It's like the Death Star. There was this one <laughs> yeah, the, the, little the whole. mistake <laughs> and the whole thing. <laughs> right. But look at the, you know, looking at the size of this planetary, you yeah. know, attack thing is like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? <laughs> they like left just one little attack. Vector. Yep. This is the low tech maxim. Low tech attacks work even against high tech devices and systems. Comment. So don't get too worked up about high tech attacks. <laughs> you know, well, social sort of- engineering is often the way people get in stuff. You, know, you spend a lot of time on getting the right algorithm, but then somebody asks you what your password is and you tell them. Or, or like, you know, imagine when I, when I think of low tech attacks work, even against high tech devices, I think, you know, here's the alarm system and you just take the batteries out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, whoops. whoops. You know, all fancy, but now it's just powered down. Oh, so these are gonna- so good. This is. This is refreshing because it really, it, it reminds us of, of, of stuff we always have known, but you just forget. Yep. And, or, or of things that you do unconsciously that you really ought to remember. Maxim 12, he calls Schneier's Maxim number one, or AKA the don't wet your pants Maxim. <laughs> the more excited people are about a given security technology, the less they understand, one, the technology, and two, their own security problems. Comment. Yeah, I thought that was fun. Yeah. Uh, so the, the more excited they are. So again, it's like, oh, we've got, you know, gazillion bit encryption. Isn't that great? It's like, uh, okay, calm down. That's, you know, maybe better than gazillion minus one bit encryption. But right. it, it's not that clear that this really solves the problem or, or that that is the problem that needs to be solved. You know, we we've seen so many examples over the years of really good technology being misapplied and the bad guys just slip right around. Mm-hmm. it. You know, they're mm-hmm. excited because they realize there's a, a simple way to, to solve the problem. Maxim 13, the too good Maxim. If a good, given security product, technology, vendor or technique sounds too good to be true, it is. And it probably sucks big time. (laughs) This makes me think of all of the ridiculous claims about some random homegrown encryption algorithm. Yep. You know, and and thank goodness we're seeing that less now. But you still still encounter it from time to time. Some website will say, oh, you know, my 13-year-old son came up with this amazing encryption technology, and so that's how what, what we're using. It's like, uh, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> thanks, anyway. Oh, boy. Maxim 14, Schneier's Maxim number two, the control freaks Maxim. Control, oh, I know this one. Control uh, will usually get confused with security. Uh, even when control doesn't get confused with security, lots of people in organizations will use security. Well, this is the corollary. That's that's Schneier's maxim, control freaks maxim. And and really Johnston's corollary is even when control doesn't get confused with security, lots of people in organizations will use security as an excuse to grab control. Yep. Mhm. So um I love that. Um it is absolutely the case, you know, that is this issue of control getting confused with security. Many many people believe that that, for example, um, bolting things down is uh, 
is a replacement for or actually equivalent to security. And it's it's just not the case. You'll often have, for example, in, in a corporate environment, the security people um, being unnecessarily controlling and 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 still having security problems because control doesn't automatically bring high levels of security. The, the uh, TSA leaps to mind here. Uh-huh. Where, where you know, uh, you know, they'd make you take off your shoes as you go through airport security. I don't know if that enhances security. It enhances control. And actually, uh, we're going to get to a specific, uh, um, a, a specific maxim that talks about the 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 security theater and the and theater of security. Yeah, the theater of security. Yeah, Bruce Schneier talks about that a lot. Actually, he's, yep. he's, this is a big hot button for him. Maxim 15, father knows best maxim. The amount that non-security senior managers in any organization know about security is inversely proportional to one, how easy they think security is, and two, how much they will micromanage security and invent arbitrary rules. Another control <laughs> maxim. Yep. Yeah. And again, it's this, there, there's a problem with, with senior management that doesn't know anything about security it, and consequently thinks it's easy right. and doesn't understand oh, what's why. So hard? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, Oh, wait, you guys. know, what, what do you make it such a big deal about all this? It's obviously just easy. Just go do your security job. If you, okay. if you were just doing your job, none of this would have happened. Uh, this is uh, big heads. Maxim. The farther up the chain of command a non-security manager can be found, the more likely he or she thinks that they understand security and that security is easy. <laughs> it's sort of the Peter principle of yeah, security. They rise to the top, don't they? Yeah. Oh, love that. Uh, Voltaire. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, I'll get to Voltaire's maxim in a second. This is the huh maxim. When a non-security senior manager, bureaucrat, or government official talks publicly about security, he or she, she will usually say something stupid unrealistic, inaccurate, and or naive. Yeah. So that's just non-security people who are being asked security questions who basically sort of make it up as they go along. That leads us to Voltaire's maxim. Common sense isn't all that common. (laughs) (laughs) He says real world security blunders are stunningly, often stunningly dumb. And, you know, in defensive managers, they often come from so-called security experts, too. This can go both ways, you know. Uh, it's not just the uh, upper-level people that can do incredibly stupid things. <laughs> Every We're all capable of it. We all have a blind spot here or there. Yeah, I think that's, that's really true. Yeah, it, it, it really, arrogance is, can get you in big trouble of, of thinking, well, I know better than they do, or they, they're just foolish. Here's the yippee maxim. There are effective, simple, and low-cost countermeasures, or at least partial countermeasures, to most vulnerabilities. You think that's true? Um, well, he, okay, now this, I think, does apply more to the physical security world than to the cybersecurity world. So this is an example of where I would argue that physical and cybersecurity diverge a little bit. You know, so he's like thinking, okay, if you've got something really valuable just you know stick it in a safe that's secure yeah. instead of you know surrounding it with radar fields and motion sensors and all this where you know it's all fancy but it's like okay just keep it out of sight lock it up for example in in physical security yeah, terms very straightforward 
So I think it is, it is very often the case that people get themselves all wound up in very complex scenarios where it's like, wait a minute, you know, like, you know, your grandmother would have just solved it this way. Oh yeah. And that works. (laughs) It's, you know, there's a corollary there, the bond villain corollary where the more complex the device designed to kill James Bond, the more likely he will escape. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Or that might be the Roadrunner. Uh, <laughs> yes, the Roadrunner Maxim. Yeah. Here's the ARG Maxim, and it's not talk like a pirate day. But users, manufacturers, managers, and bureaucrats will be reluctant to implement these effective, simple, and low-cost countermeasures for reasons of inertia, pride, bureaucracy, fear, wishful thinking, and or cognitive dissonance. Or I might add to that list, or previous investment. Yes. You know, it can very often be that that people become invested, and I guess that would be inertia and pride. Uh, they become invested in a, per, in a particular solution, and someone comes along and says, yeah, but just do that. It's like, uh, oh, no, 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 we have... You know, this is version three and we paid a lot of money for this. So that's what we're going to use. You know, we've got through 20, which is only half of this first chunk. Maybe it would be a good time to to stop here because I don't want to use them all up. These are great. And I also don't want people to get a get get in a blur about all of them because they're so good. It's kind of good to think about it a little bit. Perfect. Let's uh, we will we will hold the balance for. Uh, a future episode, Security Maxims Part 2. 20 Security Maxims and uh, the, from Robert Johnston, who deserves a lot of credit for these. But I tell you, anybody who's worked in security, I, I, I just can hear their, their voices. They know these. <laughs> these, are, these are well known by people who've had to deal with this for a long time. And it's good to share this with uh, the rest of us. Well, it's funny, too, is I'm scanning ahead and thinking, oh, okay, I can't wait till we get to the other ones. So, <laughs> well, we're going to have we'll, to do this again. We'll do that again. Steve, always a pleasure. Steve Gibson is the author of a great program for hard drive maintenance and recovery. Spin right. You must have this. Go to grc.com. That's his website. You can get a copy for yourself. And you know what I told somebody on the radio? I just want to make sure I, I didn't say this incorrectly. He was having a problem that really sounded like a spin right, uh, so that spin right could solve it. Um, and uh, I, But I said, you know, there are, are a variety of problems you can have. There's hardware problems. Spin right's not a, can't fix, you know, a broken, uh, you know, busted head or frozen bearings. And then there are file system problems. Spin right doesn't really, you know, work at the level of file system. So, it, but it sounds like this guy had just kind of classic symptoms. I said, it sounds like spin right's going to do it. But I told him you have a 30 day money back guarantee. Do you not? Uh, no, it's oh. no day limit. Unlimited money back guarantee. It really is. I mean, if if I don't ever you should want, make it thirty days. <laughs> I, I I don't ever want anyone to feel like they made a mistake buying Spinrite, and so I don't want anyone. I would not want anyone's money who See, that's perfect thought that they regretted their purchase. I mean, it, we don't have a demo because there's really no way to demo it. It fixes the problem when you You're run done. it. The demo's done, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I didn't want to have it like time limited or expiring or anything. So instead, we just give you your money back. If for whatever reason, with no questions asked, you're not happy, we'll give you your money back. Well, good. And, that's, you know, what I, I, that's what I told him. And, yep. uh, and not even 30 days. You, I mean, you know, maybe five years would be pushing it a little bit. We had but, it, didn't you? We have a guy a couple of months ago or a couple of weeks ago who said, yeah, it was like five years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a limit. That's why I said 30 days. But anyway. Yeah, uh, it's really, it's, uh, I, again, it. I would not want any, I, I would never keep anyone's money 
who right. wasn't happy with Spinrite. Doesn't so work for you. We'll guarantee your satisfaction. Your Just back. a flat out satisfaction guarantee. And most of the time, I mean, we've run across situations that seem to be file system related. There's one just the other day where it wouldn't, uh, some, some customer uh, reported that it, that he had to soften check disks running by doing a slash I, which uh, option on check disk, which told it don't check the indexes, the NTFS file system indexes so closely. Mm-hmm. And he said, do you, you know, do you think that does that sound like something spin right would fix? And I say, well, you know, technically no, but I'm always surprised by like literally I'm I mean as the author I'm surprised by what Spinrite does it surprises me so I guarantee you that if it doesn't fix it you can have your money back and he wrote back later he says well I don't know why but it fixed it it's like okay well, it's what it tells me is that most of the time the problems are hard drives bad sectors as opposed to you know a cosmic ray hitting the file allocation table or the index tables or you know well Yes, and especially with the NTFS file system, it is a a file system that has a lot of redundancy in it. Ah. So you, it's not like the FAT file system; it was always getting lost clusters. Oh, Remember the horrible. old lost clusters horrible. problem? Yeah, and uh, and so the FAT file system tends to be structurally more robust. So you don't often have structural problems unless they are caused by physical problems right so when you fix the physical problems what looked like a structure problem gets fixed in the process that's why it's worth trying grc.com and uh, while you're there by the way check out shields up all the free programs steve offers he's very generous with his time and his software some great stuff on there uh and uh, of course the great security forums in fact we'll be doing questions next week so if you want to leave a question about anything we talked about on the show or something you've heard you can go to grc.com slash feedback and leave a question there. We'll get to uh, some of your questions in the next episode. Steve, always a great pleasure. Talk to you soon. Now, actually, talk to you next week. Next week. That's okay, Leo. Thanks. Security now.